church is offering you an opportunity to have a better marriage. Marriage is worthy of great investment. The Bible starts with a wedding, it ends with a wedding. Jesus Christ made a covenant with us, and then we have covenants with each other in marriage. And we want people to be drawn to the covenant of Jesus, watching us love one another in the covenant of marriage. Not only is marriage important theologically, it's vital to the family, to the church, and to the culture. It is the most important horizontal relationship in life. It is so important that adopted sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ put his grace, love, and kindness on display as they love one another. So today we're asking you to make space for your marriage, to get together once every 90 days, and to get on the same page and be strategic and really enjoy one another for the glory of God and the good of your family. This is worth the investment. So I'd encourage you, if you have not signed up, uh, to sign up uh, today for that. I do want to mention Redeeming Grace did get our VBS offering uh, that we raised over $1,000 for that. And they have used that towards a, a portable AC unit and their coffee, their lounge area, uh, where they meet morning before services. So they did put that to good use, and they were so grateful. And again, blown away by us as a church reaching out and helping them. So be in prayer for that church and all these other partnerships we're trying to start as well. But again, we're in Habakkuk chapter 3. This is the conclusion of our series from turmoil to triumph. And I entitled today's message, The Greatest Demonstration of Praise. And just like people are hurting today, people were hurting in Habakkuk's time as well. And the book of Habakkuk, just to remind you, was, was written in the early 600 B.C. It was written between the time the Babylonians captured the uh, Assyrians or conquered the Assyrians in 612 B.C. and the time they defeated the Egyptians at Carchemish in 605 B.C. right before they set their sights on Jerusalem. This is also during the time when King Josiah died, who was one of the most righteous kings the nation of Judah had ever known. He had turned the nation back to God through his spiritual reforms. And then his son took over, King Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim was a very evil and wicked king. And he undid everything that Josiah, his father, had done. So what the prophet Habakkuk does is he complains to God and he questions God about what he is seeing and experiencing as in his mind, God is being silent amidst all the chaos and the corruption and wickedness that is happening. And God responds that he is very much aware of what is happening. But he is going to use the evil nation of Babylon to dis discipline his rebellious children. And Habakkuk had asked God to do something about all the corruption in Judah. But when God told Habakkuk what he was going to do, his response, God, I want you to do something, but I really wasn't expecting you or wanting you to do that. And Habakkuk responds with shock and outrage that God would use a people who were even more wicked than his own people. In 113, again, this question comes up. He says, why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? So in chapter 2, Habakkuk chose to go to the watchtower. He chose to wait on God to answer him. And God did respond to Habakkuk by making it very clear that he is also aware 
of the wickedness of Babylon. And even though he's going to use Babylon to punish his children, he will also destroy Babylon for her wickedness. And he will pour out his wrath upon the nation of Babylon. God tells Habakkuk they will get what is coming to them. In Habakkuk 2.4, which we looked at several weeks ago, this is the key verse in Habakkuk. It says, the one who is righteous will live by his faith. God told Habakkuk that amidst all the corruption and the chaos and the evil, that the just, the righteous, will live by faith. He's telling Habakkuk that one's faith will be demonstrated by their faithfulness to God. And because of God's response, Habakkuk chose to place his confidence in God. And as we saw last week in chapter 3, he praised God. And the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, is a hymn of praise. It's a, it's, a, it's a prayer of worship, as denoted in verse 1 by the term Shigionoth, which appears only two times in the Bible, here and in Psalm 7. And scholars believe it's a musical term indicating some type of song, maybe a song that has rapid changes. And as we read Habakkuk chapter 3, and I think on three occasions we see the word Silah, Silah is a, is a Hebrew term that the meaning is unclear, but they think it has to do with something with the idea of affirming truth, of amen, of hallelujah. We also know this is a hymn of worship or a hymn of praise because in verse 19, at the very end, he says, For the choir director on stringed instruments. So this note to the director of music was to be used when this passage was sung as a song during worship in the temple. And last week we looked at Habakkuk 3, 1 to 15. We began to discover that, that Habakkuk had come from a place of turmoil to a place of triumph as he praised the person and the power and the purposes of God as he trembles before the holiness and the awesome power and the might and wrath of God. And so this morning we're going to conclude the book of Habakkuk by looking at the last four verses. And in these concluding verses, we are going to see what I believe is one of the greatest demonstrations of phrases in all of Scripture. The last section of this chapter and book contains some of the most moving verses in all of Scripture. And I think in these verses, we are going to see the greatest demonstration of phrase. In fact, on one occasion, Habakkuk 3 was used by Benjamin Franklin to confound some of the sophisticated culture despisers of the Bible whom he met in Paris when he was serving as a United States plenipotentiary. Now, I had to look up the word plenipotentiary. I had no idea what that meant. It basically means a diplomat. Why didn't they just say diplomat? I have no clue. But he was a plenipotentiary, which means that he could act on behalf of the United States government without any guidance from the United States government. So I guess he had a little bit more power than a diplomat themselves. But he was in front of these skeptics and they were mocking him for his admiration of the Bible. So he decided to find out how well they knew the book they were ridiculing. So one evening he mentioned to them that he had this incredible poem that he wanted to read to them. And they said okay. So he pulled out his manuscript, he began reading the poem. And they said that they were impressed with its beauty. They asked to hear it again. So he held it out, he read it again. And they received his reading with great admiration. They said, what a magnificent piece of verse. 
They wondered where he had gotten it. They wondered how they could get copies of it. But when Benjamin Franklin told them it was from the third chapter of Habakkuk, they were astonished. You see, there is no doubt that these verses are powerful. There's no doubt these verses can leave a lasting impression. But these verses are not powerful because they were beautifully written or well constructed. But these verses are powerful because of what they reveal about the Lord our God and about Habakkuk's trust in Him. So as we go through these verses this morning, I want to challenge you to commit to praise God in your life the way Habakkuk praised God in his. So let's read Habakkuk 3, 16 to 19. Habakkuk writes, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the flesh produce, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph or I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. For the choir director on stringed Instruments. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is the greatest demonstration of praise is trusting God when we are fearful. The greatest demonstration of praise is trusting God when we are fearful. Habakkuk records his personal response to all that has been revealed to him by God in verses 1 through 15, which we looked at last week. And as a reminder, there were two words that could be used to sum up last week's verses. They're the words theophany of God, which means the visual manifestation of God. In Habakkuk 3, 1 through 15, Habakkuk recalled some of the times that God had physically revealed himself to the nation of Israel. And it's also, it was a time of terror. He recalled the times where God acted on Israel's behalf, destroying other nations, parting the Red Sea and the Jordan River, bringing the flood. He recognized the power of God. It was also terror because in those verses he made it clear that even though there are other gods that people worship, none of them could compare to the God of Israel. And Habakkuk acknowledged that God's plan and God's might and God's power now have shaken him to the core. There's no doubt by the time we get to verse 16, Habakkuk is all shook up. Habakkuk is overwhelmed by what he had heard. Has there something that has ever happened to you that just shook you up? Shook you to the core? I've been in several car accidents, and that shakes you up. When you're in a car accident, that will shake you up. Or maybe you've heard noises in the middle of the night when you were home. That will shake you up. This happened to Joni and I when we lived in California. We were, in, we were laying down, getting ready to go to bed. All of a sudden, we heard the strange noise coming from downstairs. Sounded like footsteps. Well, I had a bat under my bed. So Joni said, why don't you go and see what's happening? So being the husband I am, I bravely picked up the baseball bat, opened the bedroom door, and cautiously walked down the stairs. I opened every closet door, looked in the garage, 
looked everywhere I could, and I kept hearing these noise that sounded like footsteps. And all Joni is doing, standing the right upstairs, saying, is everything okay? She didn't come down to help, just standing at the stop at the stairs. So I kept hearing this noise. So I got my baseball bat ready. The only place I hadn't looked was the pantry. We had a pantry door. So I thought, if this noise is in this pantry door, I'm going to have to swing this baseball bat as hard as I can and knock somebody out. Because I had no idea what was behind the pantry door. I opened the door cautiously, peering over the edge of the door, getting ready, my baseball bat ready, and I looked in the pantry, and all I could see was a bag of M&Ms dropping to the floor. That's all it was. This bag of M&Ms had to, had to come undone. And these M&Ms were slowly dropping onto the floor. And it sounded like somebody had broken into our house and was walking around. And I went through all that. I was shaken to the core over a bag of M&Ms. My wife stood upstairs and said, is everything okay? <laughs> she could have at least have come down, opened the door for me. Could I have been in a better position to swing that baseball bat? But that shook me to the core. I'm sure you've had situations in your life. Maybe you were home by yourself. You've heard noises at night or, or strange things at night. And that can shake you to the core. But notice how much it shook him to the core. It says he heard. He trembled within. His lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered his bones. I trembled where I stood. He experiences great emotional and physical trauma at the hearing of the sound of the coming judgment. Why? Because Habakkuk understood the awesome power of God. He understands the suffering that he and the nation of Judah will endure at the hands of the Babylonians. And when we encounter God, when we see God as he is, we cannot help but tremble. We cannot help but be overwhelmed. And we may not tremble at the presence of God, but sometimes we may tremble at the plan of God as well. I know, I think Habakkuk was trembling at not only God's presence, but God's plan. He realized what his nation was going to have to go through at the hands of the Babylonians. And he had resolved himself to the fact that that was going to happen. And I know in my life, I've trembled at God's plans. I tremble when God called me to the ministry. I was fearful. Believe it or not, I was an introvert until I got to college. I hated public speaking. I trembled at becoming a parent. They don't give you a handbook when you bring a child home. They don't tell you what to do, how to raise the child. They send you home from the hospital with the child, newborn in your arms, and, and you have to figure it out. But I've trembled at some of the trials and difficulties I've had to endure. And I'm sure you have too. We tremble at bad news. Maybe we get that phone call in the middle of the night. Anytime the phone rings at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning, it's not usually a good thing. I remember we were in California. It was about 3 a.m. in the morning. I think it was the week before Easter. Saturday night, I got a phone call from one of the members of our church who had a student in our youth ministry. And she said the dad just killed himself. Shot himself. Left behind a wife, two students in the youth ministry in a preschool. 3 a.m. in the morning. What do you do with that? How do you handle that situation? You do exactly what Habakkuk did. You have to trust God. You see, we're going to face scary situations in our lives. 
We're going to face situations that shake us up. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear that, that it's not if you face trials or if you have suffering. It says when you face trials. James 1, 2 says, Count it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. Matthew five eleven, Jesus said, You are blessed when you are persecuted. And in the face of trials, in the face of suffering, key, the key is trust. There was a mother who was putting her four-year-old daughter to sleep, and the child was afraid of the dark. And when the light was out, the, the child caught a glimpse of the moon outside the window, and, and she asked her mom, is the moon God's light? Yes, said the mother. She asked another question, will God put out his light and go to sleep? The another mother replied, no, my child, God never goes to sleep. Then out of the simplicity of her face, she said, well, as long as God is awake, there's no sense in both of us staying awake. You see, in our trembling, we need to have childlike faith. In our trembling, we need to trust God. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he trembled at the thought of the suffering he was going to endure, and he asked God three times to take away this cup of suffering for him. He was saying, God, if there is any other way, make it happen. Scripture says he even sweated drops of blood. But Jesus, in those moments, he also said, not my will be done, but yours. The reality is we're going to have fears. There are over 400 phobias affecting over 19 million people. There's the common fears, the fear of heights or the fear of spiders or the fear of snakes, the fear of darkness, the fear of tight spaces. There's also some very uncommon fears, the fear of baldness in bald people. I'm not making this up. There's the fear of the color purple, the fear of hairy people, the fear of standing, the fear of teeth, the fear of riding in public, the fear, there's a fear of being afraid. There's all kinds of fears that people have. You see, having fears or having emotions, even fear is normal. The question is, what are you going to do with those emotions? What are you going to do with those fears? Will you allow your emotions and your fear to overcome you? Will you choose to resign from the fear, saying, there's nothing I can do about it? Will you choose to detach yourself from the fear, saying, I don't want to think about it? I get depressed when I think about what's happening in my life. I get depressed when I think about the future, what's happening in our nation. The problem with that is no matter how much you want to put it out of your mind, the fear still remains. Or do you maybe approach it with reckless bravery, where somebody says, pick yourself up, don't let anything get you down. The other option we have is to choose to allow our faith to overcome our fear. You see, Habakkuk chose to wait patiently on God. Habakkuk chose to allow his faith to overcome his fear. Look what he says at the end of verse 16. He said, now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. He says, now or yet, I will quietly wait. Even though Habakkuk was trembling, even though Habakkuk was filled with fear, he chose to wait on God. And when we choose to wait on God, it is an indication that we are trusting God. And we should not be fearful or worry about things we cannot control. Instead, we need to take them to God and wait patiently on Him. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Paul wrote, Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, we can't control our circumstances. But we can control our response to our circumstances by trusting the one who can see us through our circumstances. As one commentator said, allow God to be God. Allow God to be God and allow Him to carry out His plans. Lauren Daigle has a song called Trust in You. It says, When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust you. I will trust you. I will trust in you. It reminds me of Psalm 56.3 where the psalmist wrote, When I am afraid... I put my trust in you. You see, we are not called to walk by feelings. We are not called to walk by fear. We are called to walk by faith. The second thing I want to share is the greatest demonstration of praise. It's only trusting God, but it's having joy in God when things look hopeless. You see, Habakkuk's description of what would happen to the land would cause anyone to lose hope. Look at verse 17. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, there is no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. What's happening in verse 17? The fig tree is not blossoming. The vines are not producing fruit. The olive crops are failing. The animals were dying off. It's a picture of hopelessness if there ever was one. The economy is in shambles. There are failed crops. There's no livestock. There won't be any food. And everything that provided security and satisfaction and happiness was now gone. And what caused these conditions? The reason can be traced to the failure of the people to maintain their relationship with God. The people are reaping what they sowed. They are facing the consequences of their disobedience because in Leviticus 26, 18 to 20, God reminded them of what would happen if they chose to be disobedient to him. It says this, But if after these things you will not obey me, I will proceed to discipline you seven times for your sins. I will break down your pride. I will make your sky like iron, your land like bronze. And your strength will be used up for nothing. Your land will not yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not bear fruit. There's a clear connection between the spiritual health of the people and the health of the land. And I think this is true today. Why are things the way they are? Why is our nation in the condition it's in? I'll tell you why. For the same reason the nation of Judah is in, because we've turned away from God. And as I've said it before going through this series, when a nation turns away from God, they can expect discipline and punishment from God. And then but we come to verse 18. And look at what Habakkuk says. Even though all this is happening and everything is in shambles and they've lost everything, Look what he says. Yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. 
just like he did in verse 16. Habakkuk says, even though all these things are happening, even though I've lost everything, whoa, that shook me up. So, <laughs> Even though I've lost everything, I will trust in the Lord. And not only will he trust in the Lord, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. And the way it's written in Hebrew, Habakkuk is saying in no uncertain terms, he's saying in the strongest way possible that he is going to rejoice in God regardless of what happens or does not happen. He's saying that his worship, his praise of God is not going to be affected by or determined by his circumstances. He's saying his feelings are not going to be controlled by the circumstances around him but by his faith in God. You know what Habakkuk did? He took his eyes off his circumstances and he placed them on God. Because even though everything was gone, God was still there. Habakkuk had joy because his joy was in the Lord. You see, in the midst of difficult times and frightening situations, it takes a deliberate step of faith a deliberate step of resolve to have joy. It is a choice to rejoice. Habakkuk said, I will rejoice. He didn't say, I may rejoice. He didn't say, I'll think about rejoicing. He didn't say, I'm going to pray about rejoicing. He said, I will rejoice. And I think of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 when they were in prison for sharing the gospel. They were put in the deepest part of the dungeon they were put in shackles and chains. And, and Scripture makes it very clear. They did not complain. They were not bitter. But they rejoiced. They sang hymns. And because of their testimony, the jailer and his family were all saved. You see, we decide how we are going to respond to suffering. It is a choice that we make. And maybe you've not responded well to the adversity in your life. Maybe you've complained. Maybe you've allowed anger toward God to build up in your heart. Maybe you've become bitter toward God or others. But instead of being bitter, we need to respond like Habakkuk did. We need to rejoice no matter what. We need to take our eyes off our circumstances. Take our eyes off ourselves and place them on God. And rejoicing when things are dire. Rejoicing when things are hopeless or look bleak is not something the world is going to understand. Now, I didn't say we should be happy when things are hopeless. I said we should have joy. And let me differentiate quickly between happiness and joy. Happiness is usually based on our circumstances. When things are going well, we're happy. When things are not going well, we're not as happy. Why the difference? Because happiness is determined by what's happening in our lives. When circumstances change, the level of our happiness changes. Joy, however, is not based on circumstances. It's based on our relationship with Christ. It's based on who God is. And our joy should never change. Why? Because God never changes. And Habakkuk made it clear that he was going to rejoice in the Lord. He was going to rejoice in the God of his salvation. He is joyful because he knows God. He has remembered the faithfulness of God and the power of God and the mercy and the love of God. He is joyful because he has experienced personal salvation from the Lord. 
And what he has experienced far outweighs his trials. Paul said in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. He says, I say it again, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, he says, Rejoice always. To rejoice is a command. And even though we might not be happy, we can always have joy because we always have Jesus. We can have joy because we've experienced His love and His faithfulness and His grace and His mercy and His power and His salvation. And the closer you are to God, the easier and more natural it will be to rejoice in God. And there is a never a moment we are not to have joy. Why? Because there is never a moment we do not have Jesus. And let me be clear. Joy does not mean you will not experience sadness. Having joy in the Lord doesn't mean you'll experience sadness. Remember, Jesus wept when Lazarus died. Scripture says we are to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. There are going to be times where we're not happy and we're sad. But there will never be a time where we shouldn't have joy because we always have Jesus. You know, and I've been through a situation where I wasn't happy, but I had joy, and I'm sure you have too. You know, maybe we grieved the death of loved ones, but we still had joy and we still had peace because we knew where they were because of their salvation in Christ. And I'm sure other things have happened in our lives, maybe financial struggles or, or job struggles or different things have or maybe we've gotten a diagnosis or prognosis that, that we struggled with. But in the midst of all those things, we can still have joy. Why? Because of Jesus. You know, I've seen believers who were not happy about the diagnosis they received from the doctor. But they still had joy. Why? Because they had Jesus. And today, may we say, though I let, get let go from my job and I'm not sure how I'm going to pay the bills, though my home has been destroyed if I've lost everything, though my doctor has given me a difficult diagnosis and the outlook is not good, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Here's the bottom line. When things look hopeless, choose not only to trust Jesus, but choose to have joy in Jesus. The third thing I want to share is the greatest demonstration of praise is receiving strength from God when life gets tough. Look at this last verse in the book of Habakkuk. He says, Yahweh, God's personal name for the nation of Israel. Yahweh, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer. He enables me to walk on mountain heights. This is an incredible verse. What was the result of Habakkuk trusting the Lord and rejoicing in Him? It's triumph. It's victory. It's no longer turmoil. And just like Habakkuk, God will give us the strength we need to overcome the tough times we face. Just like God was with David when he killed Goliath. Just like he was with Noah when he built the ark. He will be with us. God knows our weaknesses. He knows what we're facing. He knows exactly what we need to be victorious. 
And Habakkuk understand this truth. He knew that God would give him the strength he needed to face what was coming. Because look at what Habakkuk says. He says, he makes my feet like deer's feet or like hind's feet, as some translations may say. And what animal is he exactly referring to? Habakkuk was very familiar with the topography of Israel. Israel is very rugged. It's a large wilderness that is rocky. The land goes from 430 meters below sea level to 1,300 meters above sea level over a short distance. And in these rocky cliffs of Israel lives an amazing animal called an ibex. These animals are extremely sure-footed. They leap from stone to stone and find a grip on the smallest foothold. And this is very likely the kind of animal that Habakkuk was referring to, especially considering the next line in verse 19, which says, He enables me to go on the heights and tread on high places. I want you to watch this short video of an ibex. It's pretty amazing what these animals can do. That is pretty incredible. There are actually more videos on YouTube if you go and look up Ibex. There are several videos. But it's incredible what these animals can do. How they can climb these steep cliffs. I can't climb a rope, much less a cliff. But these animals are very sure-footed. They have confidence knowing that when they go up this steep cliff, they can make it. They trust what God has gifted them with. The cliffs in Israel were dangerous to navigate. But Habakkuk knew that God would enable him to, be, to walk sure-footed on the most dangerous paths just like the ibex. And what you are facing today, or what you face in life, it may be dangerous. It may be rocky. You might not be quite sure how you're going to navigate the path that you're on. And at any moment, you think you may slip and fall. But in difficult times... God gives you the strength and the solid footing you need to keep you from falling. And this is exactly what Habakkuk is referring to when he says, He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. 2 Samuel 22, 33 and 34, it says, It is a God who arms me with strength, keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. Psalm 18 one, David wrote, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. 
Verses 32 and 33 of Psalm 18. It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. The language we read in 2 Samuel 22 in Psalm 18 is almost the exact same language in Habakkuk 3.19. And if you recall, Psalm 18 was written after God had delivered David from his enemies, specifically the adversity he had faced while running from Saul who relentlessly pursued David to kill him. And Psalm 18 portrays David as a mighty warrior, as one who triumphs over his foes. And Habakkuk drew on the life of David to express his confidence in God, to deliver him, to give him the victory from whatever troubles he might face. And this is not a coincidence. You see, Habakkuk knew Psalm 18. You know what Habakkuk's doing? He's quoting scripture. When faced with difficulty, he was able to be sure-footed. He was able to stand on solid ground. Why? Because he turned to God's word. And when we're faced with tough times, the best place we can turn to is the word of God. Psalm 46, 1 and 2. This is a great verse to turn to if you're struggling and, and having difficulty. Psalm 46 says this. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows them that trust in him. Isaiah 40, verses 28 to 31 says this, it says, Do you know, have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. Youth may faint and grow weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You know what? These verses make it very clear that we can't overcome the difficulties of life in our strength. We can only face the difficulties of life and overcome them in his strength. There was a little boy who prayed this prayer. He said, Dear God, please take care of my daddy and my mommy and my sister and my brother and my doggy and me. Oh, and please take care of yourself, God. If anything happens to you, we're going to be in a big mess. You know, there's some truth in that prayer. Without God, we're going to be in a big mess. Our help, our hope can only come from Him. In the song I referenced earlier, Lauren Daigle, Trust in You, there's some more lyrics that go like this. Letting go of every single dream, I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wondering never changes what you see. I've tried to win this war. I confess my hands are weary. I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of the fight, no matter what I face, you're by my side. You are my strength and comfort, my steady hand, my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. Your ways are always higher. Your plans are always good. There's not a place where I'll go. You're, you've not already stood. You see, when trials come, and even though the road God has for us might be rough, might be rocky, God, through his spirit, if we trust him, will give us strength we need so we can soar like an eagle, so we can run like the ibex. And so we cannot 
grow weary. And let's remember that there's not a place we'll go that Jesus has not already been. You see, Habakkuk has come a long way in his spiritual journey. From the beginning of his prophecy to the end, he has come from a place of turmoil to triumph. He has come from complaining and questioning God to a place of worshiping and praising God. In the beginning, Habakkuk was deeply disturbed by all the evil and all the wickedness in the nation of Judah and how God seemed to be silent. He wanted to know from God how the evil people can prosper and how the righteous can suffer. And he wanted God to do something. But when God revealed to Habakkuk what he was going to do and how he was going to use Babylon to judge his own people, Habakkuk wasn't pleased. But then he waited on God and he sought God and he saw the majesty and glory and the holiness of God. And he realized that God will pay, that the wicked will pay for the evil they do. And at that point, he determined to put his confidence in God. In the end, Habakkuk made a promise. Habakkuk made a choice that he would rejoice, that he would praise God, that he would worship God, that he would be thankful to God, even when it was not easy. With no, no matter what was happening in his life or in the world around him, no matter what he had or didn't have. And like Habakkuk, when things look hopeless, we need to put our trust and confidence in the sovereignty of God. We need to recognize our strength can only come from Him, understanding that He is alive and well in control of all things. And regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's happening in our lives and our world, regardless of what we have or don't have, we can rest assured that God is God and He will do what is just. And one day He will make all things right. And like Habakkuk, we can rise above the adversity and suffering in this world if we so choose and say, I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation who enables me to walk on mountain heights. You see, rejoicing in God, trusting God, receiving strength from God, no matter what you're facing or going through, is the greatest demonstration of praise. And when you do these things, just like God did for Habakkuk, He will turn your turmoil to triumph. And my challenge to you is to recognize that God is always the good God Almighty and to praise Him no matter what comes because you do not know where you'd be without His mercy. So praise Him at the top of your lungs. As the song said this morning, praise Him in the morning. Praise Him in the noontime. Praise Him when the sun goes down. Love Him in the morning. Love him in the noontime. Love him when the sun goes down. Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the noontime. Jesus when the sun goes down. What's the greatest demonstration of praise? It's trusting God. Rejoicing in God. And finding strength in God. And there's never a time where we shouldn't do any of those things. Why? Because Jesus is always near Jesus does not change yes our circumstances will change but Jesus never does change and because he does not change our trust in him and our joy in him should not change either and I don't know what you're facing today 
I don't know what you're going through. But the God that Habakkuk served, the God that Habakkuk praised, the God that Habakkuk trusted and worshipped is the same God we serve today. And you have a choice, like Habakkuk had a choice, either to praise God and rejoice in God and trust Him, or you can choose to turn away from Him and be bitter in Him. It's your choice. My prayer for us is that we would recognize who God is, that His plan is always good, and that we would trust Him and never lose our joy in Him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for